Welcome to the third season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get to this week's episode. Many people recall the sniper attacks in Washington, D.C. in 2002 and the unlikely duo of 41-year-old John Muhammad and 17-year-old Limavo. Traveling the city in a blue Chevrolet Caprice, a hole had been cut out in the trunk so that the shooter could fire him inside the vehicle. After 10 people were murdered, they were caught. John was executed in 2009, and Lee remains in prison. But long before John and Lee was Evan Thomas, born in Akron, Ohio in 1923. Evan was named after his father, who worked for the Goodyear Tire Company, while his mother was a homemaker. The Daily News reported that his mother, Irene, gave birth to a baby girl, who sadly didn't survive. Then an opportunity arose for them to adopt a little boy. The couple took James home. A few years later, Evan was born. Growing up, Evan was pushed to the side while his parents doted on his older brother James. The family moved to a farm in Stowe Township where Evan enjoyed sports and played ball. He liked school and was good at it. But around the age of 10, was stricken with scarlet fever, then got typhoid fever. His left arm became infected and he underwent numerous operations. Evan missed so much time from school that he flunked two grades and by grade 8 gave up on school and went to work at a celery farm. Evan didn't have many friends and had no interest in finding a girlfriend. He preferred to spend his time working outside or reading sports magazines. By age 17, he was setting small grass fires. He was caught, but his mother stepped in and saved him from being prosecuted. At 19, Evan enrolled in the U.S. Army Air Force. He trained in Mississippi and tried taking airplane mechanics, but didn't pass. Instead, he learned how to shoot guns and drove a truck. He transferred to California, and that's where he met Hester. The Beacon Journal reported it was Christmas 1943, and Evan was all alone when a local family invited the soldier to dinner. Evan was struck by their daughter Hester. At age 20, he took her out on his first ever date. They went to a movie, and he held her hand. He didn't dare to kiss her. Evan was then transferred to Arizona. He couldn't forget Hester. The young couple wrote letters back and forth. Eventually, Evan proposed, and Hester accepted. On a short break in April, he traveled back to California, and he and Hester were married. Evan then went to Europe, 
where he served in Belgium, England, France, Germany, and Holland. His assignment was to haul ammunition in a truck to the airfields. In 1947, he returned to California, where he and his wife settled in San Gabriel and had two children. He left the service and got a job driving a mail truck, and a few years later was working nights as a switchman for the Los Angeles Railway. In 1951, Evan purchased a used Winchester, a 22 caliber rifle, for 11 bucks at a hardware store. Prowlers had been spotted in the neighborhood, and he wanted protection. He didn't take the rifle in the house. Rather, he stored it under the back seat in his car. Then Evan began having thoughts. Evil thoughts. Never comfortable being around women, he wondered what it would be like to hunt them. He didn't intend to kill them. He just wanted to scare them. Two months later, Evan acted on his impulse. On August 27, 1951, in the early morning, he'd gotten off work and was driving home when he spotted an attractive woman outside a phone booth. 21-year-old Lois Kreitzner's son was sick, and she was heading to the phone booth to call a doctor. Evan pulled over, grabbed his rifle from under the seat, and hid nearby in an avocado grove. Evan wasn't the least bit scared. In fact, he was excited. He lined up the barrel, rested his finger softly on the trigger, squinted an eye, and aimed just over her shoulder. Without flinching, he pulled the trigger. Lois was standing inside the phone booth when she suddenly felt a sharp sting on her back. Thinking she got stung by a bee, she dropped the receiver and ran home. Then she began to get dizzy and noticed a hole in her back, and it was bleeding that's when she realized she'd been shot. At the hospitals, doctors recovered a 22 slug. Evan didn't realize he'd actually shot her until the next morning when he heard it on the radio. He felt fear and giddy all at the same time. Then he got scared and secretly hoped authorities would track him down and stop him. The next night, Evan was driving to work when he spotted Mrs. Walter standing in her living room. With the lights on inside, he could see her clearly through the window. Again, Evan got out the gun from under the back seat and took aim. The bullet tore into the home and lodged in a wall, narrowly missing Mrs. Walter's. Evan felt exhilarated. The following night, Hester and the children were visiting her mother, and Evan felt restless. He went for a drive and cruised past a hamburger stand. Nina Bice, a single mother of three, was enjoying a meal with her boyfriend. Nina didn't know it, but William was planning on proposing to her that night. Evan spotted them 
and pulled over, grabbed the rifle, and quietly hid in an alley. Nina was holding a coffee cup up to her face with both hands. Just like the sharpshooters in the movies, Evan thought it would be fun to shoot it out of her hands. He pointed the long, thin barrel at the cup. The bullet whipped through the air, making a popping sound. William instantly thought of fireworks and turned towards Nina. She was slumped over the counter. The bullet lodged behind her right ear as blood started to trickle out. Nina was dead at 25. The next day, Evan read in the newspaper that Nina had been killed instantly. Waves of excitement raced through his veins. The newspapers nicknamed him the Phantom Sniper. He laid low for six weeks, and the rifle stayed safely stowed under the seat. Then he got the urge again. Cruising the streets, he spotted his next victim. It was 8.20 a.m., and she was all alone. Ten-year-old Patricia Bryant was standing in front of her house, waiting for the school bus. Reading a book while she waited, she heard a loud bang, then felt a searing pain in her right arm. She turned and ran up the stairs of her front porch, screaming, I've been shot, Mom. I've been shot. Patricia made it to the kitchen and collapsed on the floor just as her mother came running in. She removed her daughter's sweater to see blood running down her arm. Through the window, she saw a late model car and a white male wearing a hat sitting behind the wheel just as it raced off. She instantly thought of the phantom sniper and called the sheriff's office. Evan circled the car around and surveyed his crime scene. He'd satisfied his urge for now. Evan continued to work at the railway. His wife Hester was busy taking care of the two children, with no inkling of the double life her husband was leading. Evan tried to forget what he'd done, but the shots kept ricocheting around in his head and he drowned the memories with alcohol. Another five weeks went by, and Evan's drunken haze had worn off, and the urge resurfaced. Irma Meegriddle was outside working in her garden when Evan drove by. He parked and watched her. Then he reached under the seat for the cold, hard piece of steel and pointed it at Irma. The Los Angeles Times reported that her children heard the loud bang and ran outside to find their mother laying in the driveway. At first, Irma thought she'd been stung by a bee, but quickly realized it was something more serious. She tried to push herself up, but the bullet had ripped into her left thigh. And again... Evan circled his car around and from a distance watched the aftermath of his handiwork and reveled in the excitement. On Christmas Day, 
Evan watched his wife and children open their presents and enjoyed a dinner with all the fixings. But the feeling was welling up inside him. He'd put it off as long as he could. The next day, not far from his mother-in-law's home, he was driving by when he spotted Audrey Murdoch through a window. Standing at the ironing board in her kitchen, she saw a flash of white light and felt a searing pain near her waist. Her mind raced, and she thought the iron had exploded. She felt a jolt of electricity and reached to unplug it. Then in the distance, she heard a car's engine roar as it took off. Evan had his hand on the butt of the 22 as he circled around the block. A rush of fear and excitement coursed through him. She stumbled into the bathroom, then realizing she needed help, went outside. Audrey's eyes quickly scanned to the left, then the right, but there was no one to help her. She stumbled back inside and phoned a neighbor who rushed her to the hospital. As medical personnel rushed to save her life, deputies feared she might not make it. The bullet entered at her waist and traveled north, piercing her liver before coming to rest just below her heart. Doctors determined it was too dangerous to remove it. A newspaper headline declared, Housewife shot by phantom sniper, victim of shooting, fights for life. The manhunt intensified for the phantom sniper, who had been terrorizing the area for four months. The sheriff's deputies worked overtime as women were afraid to leave their homes. Perhaps the fear of being caught had Evan rethinking his urges. For the next four months, he kept his inner demons from surfacing. Then in April, Evan and Hester were expecting their third child when they got into a heated argument. Hester needed a break and left their apartment to visit friends. All alone that evening, Evan decided to visit a neighbor down the hall he grabbed two quarts of beer and knocked on Joan Hills's door. She let her lonely neighbor in as she folded laundry. She joined him on the couch as they devoured the beer and watched a movie. A few hours later, Evan left to get ready for work. But first, Evan retrieved the twenty-two from his car and snuck across the street to a vacant house. He aimed the barrel at the living room window and the spot on the couch Joan had been sitting. And without hesitation, he pulled the trigger. What Evan didn't know is that Joan had moved minutes earlier, and the bullet just missed her. He raced back to his apartment, picked up the phone and called Joan, declaring, I just heard a shot. Are you all right? Detectives arrived and interviewed Joan and the neighbors. The fact that Evan had heard the gunshot and assumed it was aimed at his neighbor made them suspicious. Exactly what did he know? Evan was quite chatty with detectives and suggested that perhaps it was the phantom sniper. The detectives sent Evan 
had a big ego. I wanted to keep him talking. So he said he thought the shot had come from a 30 odd six. But Evan insisted it was a 22. Detectives took him to the station for questioning. Evan crumpled. He confessed to shooting Joan, among the others. He was charged with one count of murder and seven counts of assault with a deadly weapon. He pled not guilty. Ballistic testing confirmed Evan was the phantom sniper. He gave sheriff deputies a tour of his crime scenes and showed them where he stood each time before he pulled the trigger. And he provided details that had never been released to the press. Hester fled with their children, went into hiding, and filed for divorce. Then, in a surprise twist, Evan changed his plea to guilty, but then later reversed it when a judge offered him a chance to withdraw his plea and changed it to not guilty by reason of insanity. But after two psychiatrists determined that he was sane, Evan went to trial. It was July 1952. Evan sat at the defense table in the courtroom and nervously chewed on his lower lip as victims took the stand and testified. Ten-year-old Patricia shouted, That's him. He did it. It took a jury of ten women and two men only 90 minutes to find Evan guilty. The judge sentenced him to death. Evan's conviction received an automatic appeal. It was denied. A year and a half later, Evan enjoyed his last breakfast of cereal, ham and eggs, hash browns and coffee. Then was led to the gas chamber of the San Quentin State Prison. Hester claimed her ex-husband's remains and buried him near San Gabriel. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Robert Fingerhut. Donna was restless in her marriage when she met Nate. Sentenced to a year in prison, they exchanged letters. Then Nate's took on an ominous tone. Something needed to be done about Robert. Donna knew exactly what he was talking about. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, We'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.